What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Stars Made Me Do It. You've got Sierra and Mimi here, and we are dropping another Back to Basics in our awesome Back to Basics series, and it's time to talk about houses. Yeah, I feel like houses is where everybody gets so overwhelmed where they're like okay i got planets i got the zodiac signs like i understand these and then they're like but what does houses like what do houses mean how do i use them you this know? is like the the meme of somebody just tossing the papers you know they're like i give up you know? <laughs> never mind yeah yeah they're like i'm good so. with what i know <laughs> yeah so we are going to dive into houses today and before we do that Here's a reminder to check us out on Patreon. We have lowered the prices on Patreon, if you haven't heard, Mm -hmm. and it is super accessible to everybody. It's just an amazing community over there. We have an extra episode every week, every single week you get a new episode, and it's also totally timely. So when you're listening to it, we're talking about what's happening right now, how you can use those energies you know, of all the planets and everything, how you can use that right now and how it might be affecting you. and. Just like when we talk about astrology and how we can help understand people that way, I feel like this is how you can help, you know, understand the moments in your life where you're like, okay, I've been super stressed. And now that I have this reason I can put my finger on, I can kind of alleviate some of that. So it's a really cool thing we do over there on Patreon. Check us out. It's patreon.com slash the stars made me do it. And we've got three tiers. It's totally accessible for everybody. And we'd love to get more people joining us. Totally. And I think what's been like really appreciated about what we put out on Patreon is that it's a blend of like taking in information and learning information, but also just hanging out. And I know for myself, like I love podcasts where I'm just like hanging out with the people who are talking and learning something. And I think that's what like really what we're doing on Patreon is we're hanging out where I call us our everybody's astrology aunties because I just feel like <laughs> whenever like in Magical Book Club, whenever anybody asks a question, it's like Sierra and I are on it. Yes. <laughs> like yes. their astrology aunties are here. So yes. I just feel like that is like what we can do on Patreon too. We're totally open for questions and discussion and talking about the transits and what's going on in this moment. And that leads us to plugging us and what Sierra does over at magical.bookclub. Pretty amazing. We talk about magical books and Sierra leads awesome discussions and also leads like magical events, the full moon, the new moon, Beltane, like all the Sabbaths and stuff like that. It's really awesome. I'm a part of it. I'm pretty obsessed with it. And then, uh, yeah, you can follow me over at harveymountain.alchemy. I make crystal candles. Um, I do astrology over at mimis.me, but basically I'm just over at the Stars Made Me podcast anyway. So, yeah, follow along with us, all of our projects, and and hang out with us on Patreon. And if you're new here, it's I guess we should let you know that we're kind of obsessed with astrology. And if you aren't, and if you, uh, (laughs) you aren't new here, you probably have picked that up over the past couple episodes. So again, with that, you know, Patreon shout out, we're, Hey, like, yeah, we want to know, like you say, oh my gosh, this happened to me and my Mars is in cancer. And we're like, oh my God. Okay. Now I need to tell you everything. So, (laughs) (laughs) so really it's a fun time. And yes, join us over on those socials, check it out. And thanks for everybody who's already there because we love you and we have the best time hanging out and yeah. Also, this series has been so much fun for us. Thank you, everybody, mm-hmm. for your feedback. We've got so much positive feedback. Yeah, I feel like this basics. is definitely the most feedback on a series that we've done. Like, people really like the Asteroid series, but when we launched, like, the Back to Basics and after a few episodes, we just keep hearing back from, like, beginners 
and professional astrologers being like, this is a really good place to start. And we're really like, thank you for putting this out. So thank you guys for thanking us for doing this. Because really, thanks this is feedback. like, we love to do it. Yeah, thanks for the feedback. So that being said, we're going to be doing a two-parter with the houses, just like we did with the archetypes, the zodiac archetypes. We're going to be doing houses one through six for this episode. And then soon after this episode comes out, we're also going to release a seven through 12 of the houses, just so that we can really get into it. I will say for the houses and there is a frustration level that I feel like comes in as soon as Mm -hmm. you dive into houses. We did the the archetypes, we've done the planets, and those are a little more, we feel like they're a little more tangible. So as we're Mm -hmm. getting into the houses, it feels a little more conceptual. And I will say, if you are still getting a grasp on the signs, on the planets, like keep getting a grasp on that. And if you don't feel Mm -hmm. ready for houses, that's okay. This episode's going to be here. You can always come back and listen again. And the the thing about houses is that, okay, for like super basic, if you really just started to pick up astrology, you know, maybe like you've looked on CoStar, maybe you've looked on whatever, like astro... Uh, com, whatever it is. And you might just have a list of your signs and you know mm-hmm. a list of your signs. But what we're talking about is when we introduce the dreaded circle chart. No, it's not dreaded. But, <laughs> <laughs> but if you've yeah. ever seen- that extra visual. Yes, it is an extra visual. It's And once you understand it, man, is it amazing and so insightful. And you just feel like you could deep dive forever in the coolest way of self-understanding of all these things. But at first, it's yeah, it totally is intimidating. So if you're feeling intimidated, you're not alone. Both of us were there when we started diving into Mm -hmm. astrology. That's like a holy crap. What do all these lines mean? So. If you, but I did want to like let everybody know that houses is when we really enter talking about that circle chart. So if you've ever seen a picture of your chart and you see the circle, looks like a clock, looks like a pizza with all the slices, you know, that's pie. where, yeah. For exactly. my sweet tooth out there. Okay. Pizza for the savories, pie for the sweets. And, so, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, this is when we're going to be really diving into what that means. So houses, mm-hmm. if you've seen that circle chart, that's where we're starting and we are going to make it as accessible as possible for all the people wanting to dive into what the heck that circle chart means. Yeah. So I guess starting off, we should just like talk about the topic of houses as they are and like more umbrella terms. So there are quadrants and hemispheres and quadrants is really, you know, sort of self-evident. It's a fourth of that pizza. So the first quadrant is house one, two, three. The second quadrant is four, five, six, third quadrant is seven, eight, nine. And then the last quadrant is 10, 11, 12. And they do have meanings associated with them. I don't think that's something that we're going to get like deeply into for this episode, maybe an episode down the line if people are really interested. But I think that's just like a good thing to know if you recognize like, oh, a lot of my planets are in the second and third quadrant. Let me look into that. And then on top of that, there's also the hemispheres. So we've got the Western hemisphere and the Eastern hemisphere, which are totally backwards. So if you're looking at your chart and you see that all of your planets are on the right side of your chart, naturally from having grown up looking at maps, you'd be like, oh, that's the Eastern hemisphere. Wrong. It is actually the Western hemisphere. <laughs> what a little millennial. In astrology, right in astrology. Anybody who's <laughs> taken classes in school, like please still know your East and West, but uh, for astrology. Astrology is backwards. Yeah. So you're looking at your chart and you've got all of your planets on the right side of the circle chart. That is actually the Western hemisphere. And 
that has its own meaning as associated to it as well. And then vice versa, if you have everything on the left side of your chart, that's actually the Eastern Hemisphere. And then similarly, we've got the Northern and the Southern, which I believe are uh, intuitive. Yeah, they are yeah. the same. So if you have everything on the top half of your chart, that's the Northern Hemisphere. If you have everything on the bottom half of your chart, that's the Southern Hemisphere. And those do all have meanings. Uh, we'll get into it maybe in a future episode. Or if you have any questions, like go over to Instagram, ask us. Or also on Spotify, there's the option to ask questions. And like Spotify is pushing, like do polls and ask questions and stuff. So you can actually on this episode, put in a question and we'll try and answer it in the future. Yeah. And so in like just a general like <laughs> overview of all of that is your chart. If you think of a circle, there's different ways we could break it up. It's got different mm -hmm. meanings. We're going to dive into the 12 slices of that pizza, but it can also be cut in fourths and it can also be cut mm -hmm. in halves both ways. And so yeah. if you got those... a lot of torse placements, maybe you just want to eat half the pizza, you know, <laughs> no judgment. <laughs> Coming from the tourist the yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, but what we're going to be talking about is those 12 different slices of that mm -hmm. chart. And if you think of like, this is how I at least go into it with my, you know, analogies. If you think of a clock, when you look at a birth chart, the first house, the beginning of your chart starts at nine o'clock. And then it goes backwards. So it goes from nine and then we go backwards, going down to six, going backwards to three to 12, all the way back to nine. So mm -hmm. that left side, that left middle line, that nine o'clock on a clock, that is where the beginning of an astrology circle chart starts. Mm -hmm. That is where the first house starts. And then you move counterclockwise around it. So that's also something that like when first diving into astrology, I had no idea that that's where you know, it started, you would think it starts at the top, <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. And like goes clockwise. Yeah. But it actually yeah. starts at nine o'clock and goes counterclockwise. So mm -hmm. if that means nothing to you right now, it's okay. Come back and listen to this again once you have a deeper understanding. And we will get into the actual meanings of each of these houses so that if you find out, wow, I've got all these planets in my second house, you get a vibe for what that means. And I think something that like, I know this isn't a particularly like beginner topic, but I think it's really important to like infuse in a beginner's like journey of learning astrology is houses are not the exact same as the signs. And I think this is something that a lot of astrologers do. And I certainly do it sometimes when I feel like it's appropriate, but like sometimes you'll hear like, oh, the first house is Aries. And that's not exactly accurate. The first house has similar themes to Aries. But what a house does that's totally different from the zodiac signs is it gives us the area of your life that this is showing up in. Where the planet is the what is happening. So for example, Venus, we know is relationships. What is happening? Venus is in Aries. You are very self-sufficient in your relationships. But then you add that house placement say it's in the 10th house, which we'll get to, but very briefly is career. That's where it shows how you are most self-sufficient in your life. What area of your life is being enlightened the most by that planet. So if someone has Venus in Aries in that 10th house, we see that they are very self-sufficient in their relationships when it comes to the workplace. And I think that sometimes like some astrologers will equate 10th house being like, oh, that means you're also kind of a Venus in Capricorn, which 
doesn't quite translate to the exact same thing because maybe, you know, Capricorn, you're going to assume that you have a lot of methodical ways of going about your relationships, whereas Aries is not going to have that same expression. So the houses give this like really unique perspective of here's the actual area of your life that is affected by these planets. That being said, like sometimes I will do that as well. I'm like, okay, there's a little bit of this flavor there. But I think it's really important, like as you're beginning a journey learning about the houses, not to immediately equate those houses to the signs. So we will say like, oh, this house has a correlation to the sign. Or at least that's what I say. Like, I'm not going to speak for you. But like, I say, yes, there's a correlation. Because when you use like a natural housing system, the first house has a correlation to Aries and so on and so forth. Yeah, I really like that. It's a really good thing to note. And if you've noticed, if you've been here a while or you want to check out our other episodes, we have, for example, Mercury in Pisces or Mm -hmm. 12th house. And while we are doing a Mercury in Pisces episode, we just mentioned that if you do have your Mercury in the 12th house, a lot of these themes are going to show up. It doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that you suddenly have a Pisces Mercury if your Mercury is in the 12th house, but it means that there is that correlation, like Mimi said, that is going on there. And I like to, with my conceptual way of thinking, because my Mercury is in the 12th house, I like, (laughs) I like to think of it as where is this planet living? So Mm -hmm. I, that's the best way I can think of it is what house is my son living in? I'm a Sagittarius. We know that that's how who I am, my son, my life force. I'm a Sagittarius, but actually my son is in the 11th house. We'll get to this in part two, but the 11th house is very much associated with Aquarius. And so I think of being this Sagittarius who's living in a house decorated by Aquarius. So I've got these Aquarian decorations going on and it, wherever you live, it infuses a little bit, it influences you, you know? And so that's kind Mm -hmm. of that idea of there's an influence. It doesn't mean you, you're suddenly this identity. There's an influence there. And like Mimi said, the biggest thing to take away from all of this, I would say in houses is this is where things show up, where, Mm -hmm. That is the where in your life. The example you gave was great. Like 10th house workplace. Again, we'll get there. But where are these energies showing up? We've got the how, we've got the what already taken care of in our, you know, planets and signs. Now we're dealing with the where. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we both come, we both have different approaches to houses because you do put more of an influence of like the natural ruler of that house. And I think that's a great example of how two astrologers can do things a little bit differently, but come to a point that it still makes sense and it still resonates. And so take what resonates for you through this. If you realize like, okay, something in the fourth house, you know, I do feel like I kind of relate to cancer energy through that. That's good. Astrology is a tool. And if that tool gets you from point A to point B, that's what matters most, right? I think like you, we can get obsessed with being right or, you know, like having the intellectual facts and everything. But at the end of the day, we're just humans trying to use astrology as a tool. So if it gets you to where you need to be, pick the approach that works for you. Yeah. And I love that because I would say that in general, we get to the same we get yeah, to the same exactly. information. It's just yeah, that literally. it makes more sense for me to think of it that way. And it makes more mm-hmm. sense for you to think of it in the other, you know, and yeah. not like that direct association. And so it's whatever way you get to that information, which is why I love these because bringing different, you know, different approaches to this information. So mm-hmm. with that in mind, 
why don't we dive into the first house? Yeah, let's do it. So angular, succeedant, and cadent are words we're going to be using throughout this episode. Angular basically means that it is uh, one of the, the first house in a quadrant. So I'll just say the first, fourth, seventh, and tenth houses are angular houses. They tend to be very dynamic. And if there are a lot of planets in these houses, it is a lot of forward energy, a lot of what we could also describe as like quite cardinal energy. And then we've got succeedant houses, which are the follow through of what happens in the first house or in the angular houses, and then could also be equated to fixed energy. And then lastly, we've got the cadent houses, which can be equated to mutable energy. It's sort of the transition from that phase into the next. So the first house is our first angular house. It has a correlation to Aries. And actually the sign that is on the first house cusp is our rising sign. So it's a really important house for us to pay attention to because it's the house of the self and how we express our confidence or how we, the mask that we put to the world. And sometimes I think that is this really our identity or is it just the mask we put on because it's easier? Mm. You know, yeah. there's this great quote from The Inner Sky uh, that I have here by Stephen Forrest, which if you haven't read it and you're looking for a book to read on just like getting the basics of astrology down, it's an incredible book. I love it. So the quote is, to function effectively in the world, we must simplify ourselves. We must translate all the richness of the psyche into streamlined form. That translation may be a pale reflection of what we really are, but there is no choice. However two-dimensional it seems in comparison with our true self, life requires that we have a personality. And a personality is always a role we play, always less than what we truly are. A personality is always a mask. And so your rising sign is usually what we say, like, this is who you are when you introduce yourself to people. It's like, great, here's like the little prepackaged form of who I am, how I'm showing you who I am. Here's my personality. Here's what you need to know on like an introductory basis. Yes, yes. This is the house of your rising sign. And I know that most people know that when you're dabbling Mm -hmm. into astrology. Oh, this is my ascendant. Ascendant and rising Mm -hmm. are the same, like they are synonyms. And so Mm -hmm. this is really that, that way that it is a mask it's it's the first impression you know because we don't often offer our full selves right away to the people Mm -hmm. that we meet this is the first kind of energy that we get because it's the first house of your chart this is the first thing people see and so sometimes you might experience that where you know i'm thinking of an example my husband is a scorpio rising and so when you first meet him you might get a little bit of like a you get the intensity you got the scorpio eyes you know and then you'll get oh my gosh he, but he's so silly and goofy he's aquarius gemini energy blah 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 but then mm-hmm. you have an example of me where i am a sagittarius but i'm also a sagittarius rising so when people meet me it's a lot more of what you see is what you get because it's the same energy that i put off when i meet people as then when i get to know them better and so this mm-hmm. first house being that ascendant being that rising sign is you know that what you give off but i also we see this as your outlook on life as well it's your approach to life it seems like the mm-hmm. the main filter that we are looking through because it is this first house it is this you know identity and we also i really like um in the book astrology a cosmic science by isabel m hickey i love that uh the quote here is it is the window 
through which you view the world. And I think that that goes again with that approach to things, that first house getting started, bam, here we go, how people see you right away, but also how you approach things. Yeah. And what's really interesting about the first house that's very different from the rest of the houses is the first house is the only house that really deals with like you in your psyche. You know, like this is a house where it's a little bit different. It can be like another planet placement almost with that rising sign. That's why we have what's your top three rising sun and moon. It is more than just like this area of your life that things are going to show up in. It's how people perceive you and it's how you come across to people. And it's also your approach to the world. So it does have to do with like more the inner you as much as the mask that you put on as well. Yeah. And I will also say this is the, um, you know, part of the chart that we say kind of deals with your physical appearance too. Mm-hmm. And that can be kind of, you know, I I mean that I feel like there's like multiple opinions on that. But also if you've listened to our analysis episodes, we're like, oh my gosh, they absolutely have Pisces rising vibes. Look at their mm-hmm. big eyes, like look at their, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is. And you can kind of, you know, not as a rule, but Sagittarius rising, we all tend to have voluptuous hips because it's ruled it's a horse you know it's a centaur Mm -hmm. so that is just like a a generalization that your rising sign does have to do which this is this again this first house has to do with that physical appearance often as well yeah yeah it's your appearance and your mannerisms i mean i'm a leo rising and i i lead with my hair i love (laughs) hair and i (laughs) like having nice hair (laughs) and also i come across like in social settings or when i introduce myself i come across as very outgoing very friendly and like warm right and my mannerisms are i use my hands a lot i i mean i'm also italian my italian rising (laughs) yes 100 (laughs) percent so this is going to dictate your mannerisms i mean if like say very differently from a leo rising there's a capricorn rising they may be a little bit more closed off a little bit guarded they're a little bit more conservative with their gestures or very intentional with their gestures whereas a fire rising might just be like hey yeah whatever like just throwing their hands around and throwing their energy around so it's almost like it's your appearance and mannerisms but it's also like the energy that you're giving off yeah yeah it's the energy that you're giving off right away because Mm -hmm. it's the first house and like you know like Mimi said it is correlation to Aries and so if we think about that like that's a boom starting the zodiac year here we are here we go here I am Mm -hmm. here I am so it's so much to do with the self and the self has to do with the body but again with the internal stuff with our view on things it is me yeah yeah I think the first house can get kind of like muddled because it is it is so many things there's so many layers to go into with the first house you know yeah and and this is something where I feel like this is where I mean so many things we could say this is where it gets confusing but again just (laughs) just to showing blanket for astrology (laughs) exactly but so we've talked many times on this podcast how we approach uh astrology using basically two different systems there is the Mm -hmm. whole sign system and mm-hmm. then there is the placidus system and in general i'm the placidus person over here <laughs> in general mm-hmm. martha's the whole sign and mimi dabbles between the two <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> and so you know for like 
that is a question that we'd love to dive into in another episode or maybe even that's going to be Patreon. A, definitely an intermediate episode. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. But I do want to say that's something to pay attention to. That is something that will come up with houses. Mm-hmm. Houses will come up with my example is I've got a full first house. I'm a Sagittarius mm-hmm. rising, but I have every single one of my Capricorn placements also in that first house, if we're using the Placidus system. So I think the way that I see that is many people, while you get my Sagittarius energy, is I think pretty soon you get my buttload intensity of Capricorn energy Mm -hmm. coming off very strong because this is a house of here I am, identity, bam. And so my Capricorn energy, because I have so much of it and it all happens to be in my first house, is very Mm -hmm. present. And so there is a lot of, if you do have planets going on in Mm -hmm. your first house, that can really give them a lot of right away energy because it is that first thing we see. I always find it really fascinating when I read for somebody who has their moon, the same sign as their rising sign, because it's like the rising is the mask that we give off, but the moon is our most intimate selves. So when you introduce yourself to somebody, yes, you're wearing a mask, but also you're being your truest self. And I think about that because I have Chiron conjunct my ascendant. So I literally like introduce myself and then I go, I'm wounded and I also am healed. So like, (laughs) is it a mask or is it who you really are? And same thing, like say you have Uranus in the first house. Okay, you're going to come off with like heavy Uranus energy. You you come off as innovative, as genius, as maybe a little neurotic, right? That kind of thing. So pay attention to the planets that are in your first house because you're also, you're presenting that on a platter as here is who I am. That's your identity. It's me. Hi, <laughs> Uranus in my first house. <laughs> so shall we move on we spent a lot of time on the first house but i feel like it's a very important one it It needs it yeah it it needs it deserves it just the main thing i would say first house your rising sign determines where your first house starts and your Mm -hmm. first house determines the rest of everything and that's the birth time if you don't know your birth time then you might not get the most accurate rising sign you can get it rectified you can do things to find out but your birth time is what dictates what your rising sign is. Exactly. So that is how we know what our ascendant slash rising, same thing, are. And mm-hmm. we get into that first house, everything we just talked about. It is our ascendant. It is the way we approach things. And it is associated mm-hmm. with Aries energy for those who come across that way, but is not identical to. They are not one and the yeah. same, but yeah. that can sometimes be a clue. So moving on to the second house, which is, you know, going in the Zodiac wheel would be a correlated to Taurus energy. So let's dive into that second house. And the second house is what we would call succeeding, similar to like the fixed energy of that Taurus sign. It's our resources. It's what we have. It's the house of possessions and values. So often anything, if we own property, whatever we own, our literal things are put in the second house. But it's also on a more inner level. It's about our sense of self-worth and a sense of security. Whether we find that sense of security through, say you have the moon in the second house, maybe your sense of security is your relationship to your mom. Maybe your sense of security is your emotional well-being. Maybe you really have to like work on your emotional sense of self-worth, right? Those kinds of things. And then it also relates to our finances. I think the best like umbrella term for the second house is resources. 
Agreed. Because resources is, it blankets our finances. It blankets what we possess and what we value, what we put our resources towards. And I almost feel like the second house is like a sense of survival, like food, shelter, comforts. Yeah, I would say that the second important, the second most important word to resources for me is values. Oh, yeah. Because value, again, you can kind of see if you have listened to our other episodes, how this really does fit nicely with Taurus energy, because Mm -hmm. value is such a Taurus and Venus, you know, word, but your resources, the actual tangible stuff and your Mm -hmm. values. And I also think of this as very much a foundational house. It is like it's getting towards that bottom of your chart. You know, it feels very foundational to me because like you said, the, you know, food, shelter resources, that is such a basic needs. Mm -hmm. And I think of it as the foundation, the building structure, the, you know, what it is that you have and what it is that you are planning for that to be in a way. Yeah. And if the first house is here, I am, I am born because the first house is decided on the constellation that's literally rising as you're born. The first house is here's my identity. The second house is sort of the next stage of when we're thrown into life here's what you have. Here's the, here's the nourishment that you get as a baby. Here is the love that you get as a baby. Here's the sense of values that you're given as you're developing throughout. And so this first quadrant really is all about the first, second, and third houses are really about you're being thrown into life. Here's what you have and here's how you develop. Yeah. Yeah. Resources. And I love what you said about that. Um, I, I can't remember like quoting you what you said just a minute ago, but about that like resource and sense <laughs> That was of... forever ago. <laughs> so long ago. <laughs> We're recording this during Mercury Retrograde. Give me a break. Um... <laughs> but I'm just thinking like I've got my North Node in the second house and mm-hmm. like a solid like resources and like foundation and structure, like having that be something to kind of wear in my life do I have this Capricorn North node like striving for like, okay, where does that show up in my life? It shows up with, I want to be the one who builds this resource and structure and my own tangible, I want to be reliable on my own tangible stuff. Like I, Mm -hmm. you know, that's how it can show up whatever you have going on in the second house. And I will also say, if you don't have anything going on, you read in... my mind. <laughs> I was just going to say that. <laughs> if you don't have anything going on, no meaning you don't have any planets or points going on in the second house, everybody still has something that they can get out of this placement. Mm-hmm. Every single house in your chart is yeah. ruled by something. So my yes. second house happens to be ruled by Capricorn. But yeah. I could have no Capricorn placements there and I still have that flavor going Mm -hmm. on in that chart. So everybody, every single one of your houses, whether or not you have placements there or not, is ruled by a sign. You've got energy there and it is important. We do have an entire episode on empty houses. Do we not? Yes. Go listen to that after this episode. (laughs) (laughs) A little extra credit. (laughs) There's a whole episode on empty houses and how you can read them or what they mean or what they don't mean. So go check that out too. Yeah. So second house, resources, finances, what you have, Mm -hmm. values. It's 
Yeah, it's going to like how you handle your finances, how you maybe like say you have Libra on the second house. I always see Libra in the second house is like, okay, you handle your finances well. You balance your checkbook. You know, you know how to get a good balance out of your finances. Say the opposite. You got Aries on the second house. Okay, maybe you make a lot of impulsive choices, right? And your values shift from one thing to the next really quickly. Yeah. And I will also say as someone who thinks about it as this is where you're like, you know, living, if I'm thinking of my mom, my mom has so many planets and placements in the second Mm -hmm. house. And so while she is a Capricorn and has lots of Capricorn Aquarius going on in the second house, I really see her as somebody who is living in a house decorated by Taurus because all of those energies are so influenced by that second house energy, that Taurus energy of, you know, I really like my routine. I really like my basic needs. I need my basic needs to be met, my resources. And so someone, Mm -hmm. that's how I would describe it as my mom would be someone who's living in a house decorated by Taurus. You have a a heightened sense of resources being an important theme in your life. Yes. Yeah. Also, second house, what I think is really fun is whatever sign you have on the second house has an influence on how you make money. What you literally do and how you make money. So say you have Taurus on the second house, maybe you're a banker, right? Maybe you work in a bank or maybe you are a chef, right? You produce food and and that brings you income. So the second Mm -hmm. house can also kind of influence your income. Yeah. Personal finances. It's personal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You do it. (laughs) Not anybody else. It's not. I don't know. I don't know why that made me chuckle. It just <laughs> made me chuckle. No, it wasn't like a punchline. It just, I liked it. <laughs> uh, and then if we're moving on from the second house, going to the third house, this is the one that is correlated with Gemini. And so community, communication, mm-hmm. all of those, I don't know, airy energies coming in with the third house. I think like the term community is like the perfect, it's almost like the vibe of a co-op store. It's like you guys are all working together. It's like a neighborhood uh, friendliness in the third house. And it does literally rule the neighborhood. So if you find yourself that second house, you find yourself a house that you possess and it's yours. The third house is going to say like, here's the neighborhood vibe that you like to have. So when maybe like something is really when you have a lot of third house stuff, I mean, think about like Martha, she has a lot of third house placements. Neighbors are a big part of her life. Like she has a lot of relationships to people who live in the same apartment building as her. Right. So like there's that connection to very short distance people who are just in your nearby vicinity. And it's also kind of related to like siblings. Siblings are like the neighbors of your childhood because maybe you're not (laughs) like an adult who's socializing (laughs) with neighbors. The siblings are there. They're right there. They're built in neighbors in your family dynamic. Sorry, I can hope we, that made. Can sense. we make a? Can we make like a Hallmark card for like a birthday or something? <laughs> Siblings, the neighbors of your childhood, like <laughs> it's like the person who's right there that you're gonna socialize with, right? It is. And yeah. the third house is also like your early developmental stages. We're still in that first quadrant where it's your early education. It's how your mind is developing and how you're absorbing a lot of new information. Very Gemini, and also. The third house is like your close friends. It's your inner circle of friends that you talk to on a daily basis. That's like the short distance, you know, they're like at an arm, not at an arm's length, like a throne's, a stone's throw. Exactly. Yeah. 
All right, Martha. Mm-hmm. I'm just kidding. I know. I was going to say a throne <laughs> still. <laughs> Both words. <laughs> Not the right ones. <laughs> yeah. And it's also, so community, neighbors, mm-hmm. that closer community. And also it's kind of like the short journeys, you know, because yes. this is like traveling of of short distances just like mm-hmm. you're driving through your neighborhood we're not taking a plane anywhere this is a drive you know mm-hmm. or a walk yeah. this is closer community and and you can think of it as like that that gemini energy of like okay fast facts quick stuff lots of here and here and here it's not family of or parents it mm-hmm. is that neighbors friends we're playing in the neighborhood together we're doing things like but then we go back and do our own thing it's kind of like that connection but it's not necessarily it doesn't feel it's not that it can't be deep but it feels very i've got a lot going on it's a lot it's going a built on in energy. it's built in relationships neighbors you yeah. don't choose your neighbors they're built in siblings you don't mm. choose your siblings they exist yes and they are there right yeah. you do close you do choose your close friends though so that's where maybe that analogy doesn't totally fit but this is yeah. going to show like, say you have, so my example, I have Libra on my third house. Guess what? My only sibling is a Libra moon, right? It's going to give a little influence on what your relationship with your siblings is like. And I also think of third house. Like when I think of neighbor, I think of like walking down the street and like just waving when people pass by. And maybe that's just yeah. like my past life of dreaming. I still lived or in Italy, you know, like just like walking these small cobblestone streets being like, ah, buongiorno, whatever. Anyway, <laughs> wow, I am unhinged, happy Mercury retrograde. But just that like neighborly vibe of, oh, hello, I see you. I see you regularly. You exist in the same world as me. We live in like the small knit community. And so this is also going to be like literally community events or how what you do for your community, how you contribute to community, what community you gravitate towards. Yeah, I've got Pisces on the third house and I've got magical book club Mm -hmm. as my community, which is just like this, you know, very whimsical and, uh, you know, I don't know, magical community, mystical community. And also for me, I don't have any siblings. And so to have Pisces on the third house, it feels like, oh, we're connected to everything. Everybody feels like siblings and neighbors to me. I literally Mm -hmm. just feel like everybody is that way because there's just a connection, like a huge connection to everything with Pisces. And so Mm -hmm. even if you don't have siblings or even if it shows up, like you've got a great example, I'm just thinking that, you know, my husband's got like a Capricorn and Aquarius going in the third house and his brother's a Capricorn. You know, it's just, Mm -hmm. it's perfect in that way. It's also, we say communication, which adds like an element of intellectual. Mm -hmm. There's intellectualizing there too, because there is a collecting of information. You know what neighbor lives where and what gossip's going on with that neighbor because so-and-so told you when you were waiting at the bus stop. You know what I mean? Like that is the energy of the third house. And it's also, speaking of waiting at the bus stop, it is that early education Mm -hmm. and that early environment. Yeah. And so that's really helpful also for the parents that are listening and you're like curious about, you know, how to integrate astrology into your kid's schooling. Look at their third house. What is the best way for them to naturally absorb information? What's the because it's it's early education. But the umbrella for that, at least like what I personally think is just mental development how your mind is Mm. developing throughout life. So like, or throughout your early life, like say you have Taurus on the third house, mental development is so related to core values. 
right? And also maybe reward your kid with a jelly bean every time they read a sentence really well, you know? I'm I'm not finding that that connection. What what was the jelly bean connection? Taurus, jelly bean. <laughs> oh okay okay for mental development <laughs> reward them with okay. food <laughs> oh okay 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 i was like wait a minute we brought jelly beans into the third house i get it now i get it now okay. <laughs> <laughs> jelly beans for some reason are very third house to me anyway <laughs> jelly beans are totally an early education energy you're right yes. like colorful totally. sweet like yeah. okay i got you i got you it took me a minute to get on the jelly bean board but i okay, okay. <laughs> jelly bean train aboard <laughs> this is what patreon is like you hang out with I us was and giggle while just, we teach <laughs> i was like and we forgot we're not recording a patreon okay <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yep oh my gosh so third house again Look and see if you have your son in the third house. Maybe you know somebody. I'm married to somebody whose son is in the third house. So even though they're in Aquarius, they've got crazy Gemini energies that I feel. Mm -hmm. They've got third house energies that I associate with Gemini energies, you know, as someone who like community and siblings are super important and like that neighborhood vibe. Absolutely. So that is like decorate. It's the decoration of where you're living. Yeah. And so yeah. there we have the first quadrant, the first, second, and third house. There's our first quadrant. And when you look at those themes, it's all very fundamental stuff. The first quadrant is all about the fundamentals. The first is here, here, you exist. You have a physical body. Here's your identity. And this yeah. is the mask you give to the world. The second house is here's what you have. Here are your resources. Here are your core values. Stow them away. Third house is, okay, here's how you're going to mentally develop. Here are the relationships that are built into your life without you putting in the effort, minus the close friends, because that you do put in effort. Or you don't if your 11th house son likes you over there. And there's our first quadrant right there. And you've got your first angular. You've got a succeed in house. You've got your cadent house. It's a nice little yeah. package. And so now moving on to the fourth house, we start the second quadrant. And so we get a little bit more depth here. So the fourth house is our second angular house. It has a correlation to cancer. And the sign on the fourth house cusp is called the nadir. Also the imum coeli, but most people call it the nadir. It's also, yeah, the IC stands for imum coeli. And so this being the second angular house, it's also a very important house. It's a fundamental who we are at our core emotionally and also the home life that we grew up in. It's our relationship to our parents. More so, I would say the mother, but I think that shifts with gender roles, like the relationship you have with being unconditionally loved and nurtured. And that can come from either parent, both parents, depending on your situation. But the nadir, I think, is an important angle because it gives you insight on who you are at your core when you strip away all of the like identity stuff all the ego stuff yeah it's like the hidden depths too you know like it does give us that that kind of nod into childhood whereas you can see it in like I've got Aries on my fourth house that's my Nadir I'm an only mm -hmm. child yep. that makes a lot of sense but then also my mom has areas on the nadir she's a middle child and so that shows up like the themes completely work for both of us having areas on the nadir but it's me being the only one and her kind of being the one that like i don't know kind of gets forgotten being that like she's a double middle child you know she it has should, to take care of herself yeah, exactly. And so there is that what's hidden underneath? What's that childhood home and family energy? And it's that bottom of our chart. It's very much dealing with that inner 
inner inner you know, world emotion inner world inner emotion which again is why we can see that correlation to cancer being this very nurturing emotionally driven sign yeah that deals with the home life yeah so uh, that saying of like oh you never know what someone's going through you never know what their inner world is astrologers are like well but i know their fourth house so i kind of do know their inner world <laughs> exactly <laughs> And like, yes, this is a hidden part of ourselves. When you look at the chart, the fourth house is the furthest point down. It's at like, it's really hidden from the world. And when we get to this part two, we'll see the exact opposite in the mid heaven and in the 10th house. But the fourth house is really what we keep to ourselves unless we feel really comfortable with our surroundings or with the people around us. It's sort of, I like to say like a second moon in a way, like yeah. what your nadir is, is like a second moon. And then say you have, say you have the sun in your fourth house. Maybe it's not that hidden because the sh sun is shining the light on all of that fourth house stuff. And you go, actually, my role in this lifetime is to shine the light on the things that we all hide. Right. I think like yeah. I have my North node conjunct my nadir and then Chiron conjunct my ascendant. So sure. I would love to just have like this mask of here's Here's my identity. Here's who I am in a pretty little package. But my North Node in Scorpio conjunct that Nadir is like, no, your purpose is to live in tandem with this hidden part of yourself. Your Chiron conjunct the Ascendant is to introduce yourself as somebody with intense emotion, stuff like that. You know, does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, it does make sense. And so Mimi just gave a great example of someone who's got a really, quote unquote, important placement mm -hmm. going on with the Nadir, you know, fourth house that shows up in a completely different way as me who I don't have anything. I don't have any planets going mm -hmm. on in my fourth house. Doesn't mean that it means yeah. nothing to me actually it means something huge. Having Aries as my Nadir means something like my fourth house being ruled by Aries, but you know, we can dive into all of those energies. So that's just a reminder that you can have it show up. Maybe it's not as big of a theme in my life as Mimi, because mm -hmm. you have really big intentional energies that are going on there, right. but everybody can yeah. get something big out of this placement. Because like you said, it's one of those, it's an angular house. It is almost like a second moon. It's that inner world. And yeah. it is very- You get to keep it hidden to yourself. That's like an intimate relationship that only you get to really live in with your nadir. Whereas mm. like maybe with the sun conjunct the nadir or like my example, north node conjunct the nadir, like my hidden self is, there's a purpose for it outside of me right? There's something else mm -hmm. on the external level that it needs to be shown. Whereas the natural inclination for an deer is like, this is all my little safe space. This is where I get to be foundationally secure in my emotions or where I get to work on my emotions behind closed doors. Yeah. And also think about like, you know, if you have a placement, a planet that shows up here, bringing in my husband as an example, his Venus is an Aquarius. And when we think about that placement, it's so such a friendship placement. It's very much it's it's very independent. And it's very we really value the intellectual parts of this. And we really want to have like our can function together independently. And then but his his Venus in Aquarius is in the fourth house. And so there is such this family element that mm -hmm. he brings family is so important to him that is where it shows up within his family unit he needs mm -hmm. to have that venus aquarius energy but it really shows up with the people in his life with that you know mom energy 
that, you know, with that mom relationship with his Mm -hmm. inner world. But also I think of it as like his Venus is living in a house decorated by cancer. And so it's like, I mean, Mm -hmm. he's like the, the super, you know, sticky one, as he calls himself, like, you know, he's the (laughs) one who's always like, you know, I want to hug, like I want, like, I want to be right next to you. Like that is not something that's typically a Venus and Aquarius energy. And so you can look at when you find these placements and the houses that they're living in, it's like, oh, okay. That makes sense that this really like overly, like very loving and committed person that you wouldn't necessarily feel that from that Aquarius energy. Oh, they have their Venus in the fourth house. That's where we get that family and connection inner world coming into play. And that really speaks on like attachment styles too. And I've never really equated like in that vocabulary, the fourth house to attachment style. But Mm -hmm. if you have a lot of more feminine uh, planets in there, if you have your moon or your Venus, uh, that is a very like snuggly attachment style. You just want to like nurture and love and indulge. Whereas maybe if yes. you have like sun or Mars, it's like, no, like let's get on to the next thing. Something like that. If you have Aries, you yeah. know, Aries on the Nadir, you've expressed like you're not the big cuddler. I don't know if you've expressed that on the podcast, but sorry, I just exposed <laughs> you. <laughs> whereas then like you've got venus or guillaume has venus in the fourth house and yes he's that glue stick right he wants that he his natural inclination is to go for those cuddles so sorry for totally exposing your cuddle routine let's just (laughs) talk about the cuddle routine i will say i have become pro cuddle thanks to having a partner with venus in the fourth you know oh my gosh so (laughs) pro cuddle now but it's not my default and that's the way in which we can learn from each other you know but it isn't my default my default i'm not not a touchy-feely person i've got Mm -hmm. aries there you know i'm like well, let's go like this. We don't got time for hugs. And I'm just, I mean, like I enjoy a good hug, but like, it's not my default. It's yeah. not, you know, I'm, I'm happy to partake in a hug. It's not the first thing I'm going to go for. And mm-hmm. so that's something where, yeah, this is another way. And we bring our lives into this to help share that with you all, because that fourth house is that, you know, I love the idea of the attachment style mm-hmm. that kind of came up through this as well, because that is part of our inner world and our emotional core. Yeah, it's our emotional foundation. And if the third house is our mental foundation, it's our mental development. The fourth house is very much dependent on the kind of home that you lived in as a child and like how your emotions evolved from the relationships that were in your intimate home life. It's also interesting looking at siblings, right? Because you'll have different nadirs. And yeah, sure, you grew up in the same house, but potentially, most likely you grew up in the same house, but you'll have different nadirs. So Me, for example, I've got Scorpio on on my Nadir. I experienced my childhood with all the intensity that conjunct Pluto with all the intensity that you could Right, a lot of emotion, a lot of subliminal messages. My sibling does not have Scorpio on the Nadir. So they didn't have that same experience. So you play with like looking at other people's charts, say someone has Sagittarius on the Nadir, traveling was a big part of their home life, or they had a lot of uh, people from foreign lands staying in their home and like learning about all these different cultures being really important to them as a foundation of their like emotional development and go on like with all those different signs. I think this is like a really... I mean, maybe that's just my obsession with any of the angular houses. I think they're really imperative to like the dynamic of who we are. Yeah. And I will also say that if you'd like to get more information on the Nadir, 
before the firestorm was what it was, Mimi was on an episode. Oh yeah, Stars I forgot Mimi about it. that. Yeah, one of your episodes oh, on yeah. before you were a permanent part of the podcast was yeah. talking about the Nadir. So it's a little bit, a little ways back, but there is an episode where oh, Mimi yeah. goes over all the different signs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So definitely check that out. Yeah, please. Otherwise, I'll talk about it forever on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, what's fun about all of this, like all of these, how, you know, what's fun about astrology. I love the perspective of the outside world being shown through the houses, but also the inner world being shown through the houses. Like the third mm. house is your physical neighborhood. Sure. But it's also how you communicate internally. Right. And so to be able to have that, I think that's a really modern take, but it's a modern spin on a very traditional view on the houses. Because traditionally, it's these houses are just areas of your life. It's very concrete. And more modern astrology assigns like psychological nuance to each one of these houses. And so the fourth house, yeah. yes, it is your home and family life. It's your connection to your heritage, your relationship to your mother or to your own emotional development. But th the emotional development is where it starts to go much more inwards. And it's like, this is more psychological yeah. And I'm just thinking like, we talked about the first house, the other angular house that we've talked mm -hmm. about so far. And so now we've got the fourth house. And so the first house, that rising sign, that ascendant is how you approach things, how people see you. And then this fourth house being so much more inner world, you can see an example of I'm a Sagittarius rising. I'm very people oriented. I connect with people. I'm always mm -hmm. around people. Not that every Sagittarius rising has to be that, but that's very much part of my identity and how people see me. And then you get to my angular house being Aries, a little more hidden. Like I have had many people comment, oh my God, I didn't know you were an only child. Mm -hmm. And that's something where, you know, because as a stereotypical for good reasons, you know, many people, if you're an only child, don't have that same relationship with people, mm. close people in that way. But like, so it's more of like a, it being all about me. Yeah. Like my childhood was all about me. I was the only one, mm -hmm. but at the same time, because of the other placements that I got, especially that angular house, that rising with that Sagittarius and let's, I want information about you. I want to collect all these things. I want to connect with people that mm -hmm. is a way in which you can see, okay, now we see how that inner world was a little more hidden and yeah. it's another like important angular moment. Yeah. yeah. So if you have any questions about any of these houses, of course, reach out, pop a question in the Spotify box, pop a question in Instagram. Like you could even email us if that's your, that's your vibe. Go for it. Always <laughs> happy to like clarify if you ever need clarity on any of these, any of these topics that we talked about. Yeah. Especially it seems like what we've gone over so far is exactly what you said. Like you're really into these angular houses because they do seem to have such just Potency. very present themes. Yeah. Potent themes. Yeah. Voila. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and if you're new here, I live in France and it's okay for me to say that. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> it is said if you have a lot of planets in angular houses, it is said that you are like a go getter, that you are a dynamic person. You have a lot of goals and a lot of dreams and you do things to get those things done which is why i think talking about the angular houses results in it being like a longer conversation yes yes absolutely i guess we should probably <laughs> yeah we should move on <laughs> move on move on to the fifth house so yeah go for it 
All right. So the fifth house is our second succeedant house. It has a correlation to Leo. And this is the house of expression and also of children. So here we have like the more psychological expression, how we express ourselves, and then the more like external tangible, the house of literal children. This can be your inner child. It could be the children that you have. It could be your relationship to childlikeness or to like the sense of wonder that comes from children. And also it's like the house of talents and creative pursuits. So if you have a lot of fifth house planets, it is very important throughout your life to find means of expression of self. And maybe this can show up as performance, right? Leo, we see as the performer, as the jester, as making, as wanting to entertain people. But it could also just be more subdued. Say you've got Virgo in the fifth house. It's not about being seen by everyone. It's just the need to create something that is pure and authentic. So however it shows up is going to be dictated by the sign that's on the fifth house. But regardless, if you have a lot of planets in the fifth house, self-expression is important. And probably the theme of children is very important too. And this is also yeah. the house of like passion and fun and lighthearted. This is where like we think of romance and dating and like courting, not the like the committed life of a partnership, more just like the beginning stages of a relationship and how we just have fun exploring each other and getting to know each other and, and meeting each other's like inner child in a way. Yeah. Yeah. It is the beginning stages of the relationship because fifth house, you know, like you said, like romance sex, that's mm -hmm. the beginning parts. And that's also when you are in a long-term relationship those are not that those go away, but those maybe aren't the most prevalent themes mm -hmm. in your relationship. Therefore, that's not the part of the chart we're talking about. This is like that beginning, that passionate, mm -hmm. a fun part, like you said. And again, if you have planets here or not, you've got a sign that rules this fifth house. And I do always think of it as that creative pursuits. Mm -hmm. And and because when you're little, if you think of childlike energy, when you're little, you're doing something because it's fun and because you like it. Yeah. Like, unless you're a Capricorn moon over here and you have a sense of responsibility as a child. But like... <laughs> <laughs> In general, yeah. it's just like this lightness of like, this is fun to do. I like drawing. I like painting. I like baking. I, you know, whatever that thing is. And so when we tap into that inner child energy, those are the creative things that come out. And so I always think of this house as being something that shows us where in our life we do have those creative expressions. You know, I've got Taurus on my fifth house, I am like the crocheter, the crafter of like tangible things. Mm -hmm. uh, me creating, Music. I create exactly a piano, guitar, sing, whatever it is. I am such a, all of the Taurus themes show up for me in the creative expression. And it also kind of shows up because it's not necessarily I don't know. It's it's that inner child. It 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 happens like for you because this is what brings you that fun and joy. And if you have placements there, you're going to have where that concentrated energy is. But everybody still has mm -hmm. that part of your chart. Yeah, this is also going to be like your relationship to children specifically. So you've got moon in the fifth house. You're like a natural nurturer to kids, mm -hmm. right? You see you, you're, a, you're softened when it comes to children. You have a soft relationship with children. So you've got the sun in the fifth house. You have a very playful energy when it comes to children. You bring energy, you bring brightness, you bring like 
the joy and like expression there not that if you have moon in the fifth house you don't bring joy you bring love and un like unconditional care so each planet has their power so pay attention to what's in your fifth house and if you've got nothing pay attention to the sign that's on it yeah i'm thinking about you know this is another example of say you are the signs coming to mind are like Scorpio and Capricorn, because those to mm -hmm. me are normally signs that we, as a generalization, give like a more serious energy to. Mm -hmm. And you have your son in the fifth house. It's like, I'm thinking about, you know, how I'm saying this is where you're living. It's like, you're living in a freaking theater with a stage with a spotlight. And it's like, well, mm -hmm. <laughs> this is where I'm living. I suppose I'll stand up there, you know? So it has this influence of where, and that is how while it is, you could still be that more serious or reserved mm -hmm. sign or have a serious or reserved placement, then it's in that fifth house. Okay. Well, I am performing a little bit. I am creating, I am stepping into that spotlight a little mm -hmm. more. Yeah. It's the area of life in which you express yourself. It, the fifth house really is about you. It's like, what do you need to put outside of yourself? The first house is identity and knowing your identity. And that's correlated to Aries, a fire sign. The fifth house is correlated to Leo, another fire sign. It is related to the self, but not in the way of just standing in your identity. It's about showing yourself. It's how you dress to express you. It's how it's the activities you do to express what's inside and not because it's of that fourth house, like intense, I need my emotions to be seen, but more just because this is fun for me. This is just yeah. what I like to do and I want to do it. So I'm going to. Yeah. And I guess with that, are we feeling okay to move on to sixth? I think so. Which is the last one we're going to talk about in this part one. Mm -hmm. It is a Caden house mm -hmm. again. So that's kind of like, if you feel mutable energy and it's mm -hmm. correlated to Virgo. And so we've got routine, health, service, Mm -hmm. And all of those things that we, you know, think about giving to others and the mundane mm -hmm. that doesn't have to, I think we often associate the word mundane with boring, but mm -hmm. as someone who has six house placements, I disagree. But, you know, I think that, <laughs> I think that that that's where in your life does this show up? It shows up in your day to day. It shows yeah. up in your routine. It shows up in what you do for other people as a service, as a day to day mundane. Yeah, I also have some six house placements too. And it definitely for me, how it's shown up is the day to day taking care of my mental health. And I think of the health, six house yes. as health, it absolutely is health. And I don't know if I'm unique in this, but I know Martha in the past has been like, Oh, I wouldn't have pegged mental health to the six house. But personally, I do I put mental health to the six house because it's a daily ritual that needs to be taken care of. It's it's being of service to others, 1000%, but also being of service to yourself. It's the routine you do for self-care and so that you can kind of come to the most like pure version of what you need. Yeah. And so say you've got like Aquarius on the sixth house. Okay. Maybe your routine is unpredictable. Maybe you don't have a set routine every day, but you do have some sort of cycle because Aquarius is fixed. It wants to have like a, an understanding of what's coming next. So sure. Maybe your routine is a little bit different from everybody else, but it makes sense to you and to have like Neptune in the sixth house say, all right, in my daily routine, meditation. That's I need to connect to meditation every day as a part of my day to day. And another thing that I really like for sixth house, similarly to how I like siblings for the third house, is your mentors, who you learn a lot from in this lifetime, and also who you mentor in your life. 
And so I have Capricorn on my sixth house. I learn a lot from Capricorn energy. I see like my mother, who's a Capricorn. She's a huge mentor for me in my life. And she's taught me how to be of service and how being of service is a really important theme. So pay, Ooh, yeah, yeah, the sixth house can really get forgotten because it is a cadent house and because sure, it's not like the most dynamic and exciting and like in your face thing, but it is definitely a like personal importance, I think, to connect to it. Yeah. And because it's something of that schedule day-to-day routine that often shows up like workplace, I think of this Mm -hmm. as workplace environment. And so I have Gemini on my sixth house. And so, and I've got Mars in Gemini. Mm -hmm. And so, okay, how I get things done Mars, but then this workplace having this Gemini energy, it can routine is so good. That's the sixth house, but then Gemini needs to constantly be mentally stimulated. If things get too mundane, if things get too repetitive, if there's not a mental stimulation, then it's like, oh my God, checking out. Mm -hmm. Just thinking about my morning routine is so important to me. But the minute that it becomes boring, I'm like, oh, it's a chore. Yeah. Yeah. It's exactly, it becomes a chore. And so knowing that I have Gemini in the sixth house, that's mm-hmm. something that I try to, okay, got to switch it up a little bit. Maybe got to do things a little bit differently, but also knowing that I've got Mars there, the way in which I get things done, it reminds me, especially we'll get into it later, but like I've got Mars retrograde. It's like a very internal thing for me. It really does genuinely help me when I have a routine in place because Mars is how you get things done, mm-hmm. your drive. And when I do have a routine in place, especially if it's fun and interesting and mentally stimulating, that is when I know that I can get things done well. If I add exercise to my daily routine, Mars is drive action, you know, like mm-hmm. very sporty. If I add exercise to my daily routine, I feel like my daily routine has just been such a freaking success. Yeah. And so that's something where look at the placements that you you have there. Look at, like Mimi said, I think it does get overlooked. And mm-hmm. I love that idea of the mentor and being mentored by, because I really, I do learn a lot from Gemini energy. I've got a lot of Gemini energy in my life. And I love the idea of how it you are mentoring as well, because here we are on a podcast. Gemini energy <laughs> loves to talk. That's all yeah. it wants to do is to talk and exchange and share information. And I genuinely feel like the way in which I can mentor other people is by a, is literally having a conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So here we are, like the second house is how you get your physical income, like where your money comes from. And then the sixth house is like more describes the work setting. It describes yes. the environment that you are working in because it is your day to day. And and more often than not, we do work on a daily basis, right? Every, for the most part, that's sort of like the agreed upon contract in this world that we work most days of the week. So that's yeah. our routine. The second house is how we make our money. So say you've got that Taurus on the second house, say you're a banker. And then that would mean maybe you've got Virgo on the sixth house. Okay. So then in that banking setting, you're working with many customers. You're doling out the same dollar bills every day. You're doing the same deposits every day. Very much like a routine set in place. A system is going on in order for you to, yeah. Yeah. In order for you to do that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And which I love that, like thinking about, I've got Capricorn on the second Mm-hmm. Okay. The making my own money, like entrepreneur, like boss energy business, you know, and then yeah. sixth house Gemini where talking, chatting, connecting, communicating, mm-hmm. that is the, what it looks like. That's the way in which you can relate back to the second house. I love bringing that up. 
And yeah, it's I mean, also- I can see themes of I used to be a bookkeeper. I have Virgo on the second house. Yes, I literally used to like help be of service with other people's personal finances. And then Capricorn on the sixth house, I went into a traditional office setting, right? I mean, it was a small business, but it was still an office setting, which is very like Capricorn, very traditional, very conventional. Yeah. And then you can apply that to what you do now, because even though and that's not to say that that those placements, we do think of very traditional placements that locks you into a mm-hmm. bookkeeper job. What you do now, you are a business owner mm-hmm. and the way in which you you know, run your business absolutely has Virgo Capricorn themes. You have everything labeled. You have everything. You have a list of all the things that you offer. You have a whole, like, you're very... Oh boy, do I have lists upon lists and (laughs) spreadsheets. Oh my gosh. I can't control it. It's just who I am. And it's my natural inclination to go organize in that fashion. And the sixth house is also your systems of organization. How do you organize yourself? How do you get your routines in place? And (laughs) Sierra laughs because she's got Gemini on her sixth house. So I don't. (laughs) Whereas I have Capricorn on my sixth house. I am organized. I am. I do compartmentalize and I do have very like strong systems and rules when it comes to the way that I run my day to day. That being said, I also have the tendency to totally like throw away a routine and then get stressed out. So. I mean, there's a lot of other placements going on, but I do, (laughs) uh, you are an Aries, but like, (laughs) (laughs) but I do love that because yeah, with like your systems and I've got freaking Gemini going on there. Honestly, organized chaos is my Mm -hmm. jam. I know where everything is in my apartment. Could anybody else find it? Probably not. But Mm -hmm. I know where everything is because that's such chaotic Gemini energy with a system of organization. But it's also very mental because we've got uh, that correlation to Virgo, Mercurial, and then we got Gemini, Mercurial. That's how you can find these extra flavors. But again, the big thing is where. Mm -hmm. So. So that's our second quadrant right there. And, you know, out of all the quadrants, I think the second one is sort of the most muddled for me because it's like how do they all relate to each other I can see how the fourth runs into the fifth we've got like our emotional foundation and then the fifth house our desire to express ourselves fourth house is our nurturing environment with our parents the fifth house is our childhood but I always get a little muddled when I then get into the sixth house but I think the best way for me to describe it is that the sixth house is how you're taught that you are not just you anymore The sixth house is how you're taught that you need to make responsible choices and that being of service to others is also an extension of who you are. I really like that because we will get into it in part two where seventh house has a lot to deal with relationships. I feel Mm -hmm. like this whole like first quadrant, second quadrant, all of this is leading up to it. It's dealing with now that we've learned who we are through the first quadrant, now we can develop who we are. Mm -hmm. We've learned And now we're developing it and we're getting a taste for then what we're going to be bringing Mm -hmm. to other people, which is going to show up in that third quadrant that we're going to talk about. And when it comes to a relationship with other people, a connecting to bigger ideas, all of those things that we'll get to in part two, it seems like this is, okay, I have now understood who I am. We're now going to develop and like, oh, okay. But like internally, how am I? Okay. But expression wise, how Mm -hmm. am I? And then, oh, when I do something like in a routine, when I am serving others, how I show up in that way. 
Yeah. And this first and second quadrant are also the Southern Hemisphere. We've just talked about the entire Southern Hemisphere, and it's all about what's going on below the surface. The only thing yes. that isn't below the surface is the rising sign, because that is like immediately between below the surface and on top of the surface. It is there. It's the mask. But everything else that we've discussed very much is who are you like behind closed doors? Who are you at your core? Who's your foundation? Who's your built in relationships without like really extending yourself into the public world? It's very much about like what is happening that maybe not everybody else will see as much. And this is why I love when you look at like celebrities charts, mm -hmm. you will so often find that they've got so many of their placements in the Northern hemisphere. Exactly. Because we see it. We it's see public. it. So yeah. It is public. Exactly. So this is the opposite of that. This is all the stuff that you've got going on underneath, or maybe a celebrity does have both going on and you're like, wow, I never knew. And then you yeah. see that yeah. in their, you know, fourth house or whatever it is. Totally. Yeah. So I hope that this has been helpful for people. I totally understand how houses can be like, oh my gosh, this is a whole other layer that I don't know that I'm ready to dive into. That's fine. If you're still feeling confused by it, listen back to this in a little bit. What I always say at the end of a session is, hey, I gave you a lot of information and it's okay that you didn't soak it all in. Sleep yes. on it, see what really sticks. And then later on down the road, re-listen to the recording and take on whatever sticks then. So just pay attention to what really stands out to you. And if you don't have the energy to like understand every single house, pay attention to just the houses that are very prominent in your chart. It's okay to focus on you when you're studying astrology. It's the best case study you can have. It's the best case study. Exactly. And I would say, you know, if you want to, okay, this is a little overwhelming, but I'm going to give it a try. Look at your son, mm -hmm. look at your son, see what house it's in. And if you found out that it's in houses one through six, go back and listen to that little part that we talked about here. And if you find out it's in seven through 12, then hang on, we got mm -hmm. you coming in a little while. But that is a great way to get a flavor of, oh my gosh, I am a Sagittarius, but wow, 11th house, that really fits for me because blah, 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 blah. You yeah. know, you can kind of, again, like Mimi said, you're the best case study. You are, you know how you feel. Again, that fourth house, you know what's going on under the surface that nobody else knows about. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of way in which you can see how it shows up for you personally in a way of understanding how it could show up for other people. Yeah, totally. Yeah, pay attention yeah. to where your moon is too, what house your moon is in. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Oh, show. And on that note. Yeah. <laughs> I can't what believe we talk like, about <laughs> <laughs> like this. I just feel weird, like not following through on all the other houses, but wait for part two. It's coming. Hope you enjoyed part one. And on that note, why do we talk about the, well, I guess part of the houses today, Mimi? Because <laughs> the stars made us do it. Yes.